0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 25 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today, we have a lifelong horsewoman, and she's a mother of two boys, and she's taught over 3,500 children in her career, and she shares her belief in natural horsemanship as the catalyst to building trust in horses. Isn't that nice? And we have also Denise Heinlein, a certified Monty Roberts instructor, and she comes to us today to talk about the importance of building a foundation of your relationship with the horse. It's, It's all about the good ground manners first. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, girl. How are you? I'm doing great. I can't wait to hear our guest today. This is going to
0: be fascinating stuff. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that our guest has, is, teaches children a lot, Yeah, I think that's she fascinating is. because I think... I hate to say the word because natural horsemanship, as Glenn said, has become an overused mm-hmm. term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But working with horses by using their own instincts to their advantage rather than trying to make them behave more like humans. That's
1: right. Right. Yeah.
0: It's it's really exciting because you you are just now starting to see it trickle down to the very beginners. And I thought about that because I just got a book in the mail from... Trafalgar Square Books, who sends us books to review Mm -hmm. all the time, and somebody has written a book specifically for children to help them understand the concept of natural horsemanship. And I'm thinking to myself, what's it going to be like 20 years from now when we have an entire generation of horsemen and horsewomen who Mm -hmm. understood this process from the very beginning versus learning what we we now call traditional horsemanship – and then, having to morph those skills into something more natural, how that's going to change the landscape of competition That's right.
1: You that's know, it's right. To- it's already changing, but you're right. generationally, we need to um, we need to have this pervasive, you know and and I think the horses are saying great. It's about time, you know, (laughs) that we've been waiting for you all to catch up. But you're already seeing things at the very top, the Olympic level, like we saw in London, where um, the judges are starting to say, hey, it's about harmony. It's about the relationship between the rider and the horse. And I think we're starting, it's the reason that so many of our certified instructors are so young, is because they were a clean slate, you know, they didn't have to unlearn those muscle memories. And our, our guests today started really young, but they didn't start with a lot of tradition. When you hear their stories, you'll see that, uh, well, one is in Haiti, and uh, there, there wasn't any horses really around. There were not really... There, I mean, there were working equines, but that's about it. They were tractors. Um, but the horsemanship was being brought down there and retaught by this very young girl. And then uh, Denise from... Germany, will introduce her, she is one of those young crops that came up just a phenom in the saddle, but also just loved horses. She also hates cold, so we're really lucky to have her here (laughs) and out of Germany. She she doesn't like all that cold in Germany. So um, they're starting to now be the trainers of this young generation, these young kids who are throwing away the pink crops and throwing away the whips and spurs. You know, there's only one trick to this. You have to tell yourself that pain or force is not an option because if you can take that out of the equation, your, your muscles are going to have to learn how to help that horse understand what you want. It's just not an option. And then you'll start listening and paying attention, and you'll hear what our guests are going to talk about with that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, up next, we have an amazing coach of young horse persons. <music>
2: Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an in index fund advisors, or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133.
1: Anna Campbell Zaplatal grew up on a training and breeding farm in Haiti, where her family helped reintroduce the horses and the buggy technology. Buggies, you know? In 1993, she started Wildwood Farm while she was attending university. And she and her husband, Peter, run the family-oriented farm. It's like always bustling with children and animals and love and respect for their horses and their people. You can just almost hear it and smell it right now. It's just really cool out there. Hannah has been a Monty Roberts certified instructor in Cumming, Georgia since 2000, the year 2000. And she also offers training and riding lessons and showing and camps for both adults and children. And she's coached several high, high school teams to the nationals, the IEA, and including a world title. We love Hannah for her dedication to preserving loving, respectful, yet non-violent approach to working with horses and students too. Welcome, Hannah Campbell Zeplatall. How are you with your big name, Hannah? How's everything going there?
3: I am doing great. We are enjoying a beautiful day here in Georgia.
1: I love it. You are, you're on uh, the East Coast time and I'm on the West Coast time, so I appreciate you taking a little extra out of your day because I know one of the most amazing things that you told me about what you're doing these days is that you have about 3,500 children that you give horseback riding lessons to. I assume that's not all at the same time.
3: That is correct. That was over the last 20 years. <laughs> there we go.
1: Yeah. You've been doing this a long time, and I love what you do on Wildwood. But um, we'd like to get a li- get the audience to know you a little bit, listeners to know you a little bit, and uh, some of your background. We gave some of your bio, but uh, you have such a unique perspective on horsemanship and your background, your growing up. Give us a little bit about where you were born and, and uh, how you got into horses.
3: Sure. I come from generations of horse people, but I had the opportunity to grow up in Haiti. I had parents, my parents were missionaries down there, and I was actually born down there. And we helped reintroduce the horse and buggy idea. And so we had horses there, we bred horses for that, because the horses in Haiti are mostly ponies, they're... 11, 12 hands tall, and so we brought a quarter horse stallion in uh, from the King Ranch, and he bred mm-hmm. to the local mares, which created a horse about 14 hands tall, mm-hmm. and we used those horses for animal traction. And so uh, we helped horse, help people learn how to use a horse to its full capacity of strength versus how much it could carry versus how much it
1: could pull. Mm-hmm. So was it, this was transportation as well as this was their tractor uh, work Correct. in the farms? Uh-huh. Correct. So how do you get a lot of strength out of a 14-hand, I guess you were breeding for it first, but the training for it? How did you train for strength?
3: The, the training for strength, not so much training for strength, is training for diet. In Haiti, is mostly desert, mm-hmm. and so yes. you couldn't have too big of an animal because they'd literally starve to death because there wasn't enough food for them. Mm-hmm. They don't have, like, grain stores and whatnot that you can just go buy feed. Uh, it's whatever the animal can get off the land. So you want a horse that's small enough to be able to to live on lower uh, calorie amounts, but also a horse that's big enough that if you hitch two or three or four or six together, they could pull, you know, 100 sacks of cement home on a wagon and stuff like that.
1: Ah, fun. Yeah. So what's your earliest memory of some of that? What's what's your earliest memory of Haiti?
3: Um, The earliest, earliest memory that I can remember with horses, I was probably three, and we were coming home. Dad did all the hay. Uh, by hand, like with a scythe, that literally would uh-huh. cut the hay and then put it up on on a big wagon. And we were coming home one night, and I was just little, and we were sitting up on top of the hay. You know, in my memory, we were really high, but I don't yeah. know we were, But by memory, we were really high. And, of course, there's no electricity in Haiti where we were. And so the stars, there were millions of them, and we were listening Mm. to the clip-clop, clip-clop of the horses uh, pulling the wagon and smelling that sweet hay and the stars Mm. overhead and Mom talking to us and just a really happy memory of being a little girl in
1: Haiti. Ah, that is. That's amazing. And I think you told me that you were – this was a special thing being a white person in Haiti back then. Not that you're, like, 85 years old or anything. You're not. (laughs) But but (laughs) it wasn't that long ago.
3: No, exactly. I I left there in 93. I was the first white baby born there in probably close to 200 years. And so it was almost like a Lion King moment when I was born uh, because people said, you know, I would be born black because all all people in Haiti are black. And (sighs) my mom tried to tell them, no, if the parents are white, the baby will be white. No, 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 they'll be black. And so when I was born, this, you know, red, pink color, the people were just amazed. They're like, "Wow!" And then I stayed that color. Which yeah, which was even more amazing, which was kind of fun. The lucky yeah, genetics.
1: Yeah, a little breeding DNA lesson there too. We'll have to exactly. show your photo exactly. in the in the. Um, Show notes, you're definitely white. Yeah, yes, no, yes. beautiful <laughs> lady that she is. Go look at the show notes. But, mm-hmm. and, and then, it, how did you get to Georgia? So, you, you, you grew up, uh, you stayed in I, horses. I grew up
3: there. We had mm-hmm. horses. I rode horses all the way through high school. You could either walk or ride. There's no point to walk when you can ride. Yeah. And um, I came, I, uh, an orthopedic surgeon used to come to Haiti every year. And he was on a board of trustees at this little school up in a little town called Waleska, Georgia and said that because of my very unique um, schooling experience, I was basically homeschooled all the way through high school, that mm-hmm. to get into a college back in 93 was a little trickier than it is now to get for a homeschool kid to get into college. Yeah. And he said, I want you to start there. It's a small school. There's only 900 students in it. Start there, kind of get acclimated to the U.S., and uh, and then go from there. So mm-hmm. I went, went to Reinhardt, graduated from there, and I... Uh, met and married my husband then at that point in time, and I started the farm. They had land. It was raw land, full of trees, and over the last 18 years have systematically cut trees, put in fence posts, built a barn, so forth and so on, and then we recently relocated our farm to an even bigger farm February of this past year.
1: That's right. You, you have now, I think you said it was 182 acres?
3: Yes, Something 182 like that? acres. It has two 35-stall barns, a covered arena, two outdoor arenas, mm. it's bordered two-thirds the way around by a big river. It's a magnificent piece of property. I mean, Man,
1: you, nice. there's a lot of people, their mouths are watering right now, picturing their yeah,
3: horses. <laughs> yeah, me too. I still go there and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> where do I start? Uh, how, is, how is this mine?
1: <laughs> it is a lot of work, though. A lot yes, of work. Is. And and it it it, it was it was laid waste for a little while, too. So you're actually climbing out
3: foreclosure. And so that it sat empty for almost four years.
2: Mm. And so
3: it's been a lot of picking up pieces, you know, tightening fence and picking up trees and, Mm -hmm. you know, just getting everything cleaned back up again and reorganized and get back, get it back off the ground.
1: Well, great. Well, that's exciting. That's that's a lot of work. I, hopefully, a lot of people listening will say, "I want to go visit her in Georgia now, too." But yeah, let's get into horses. Than Thank you. To Thank you. That's than nice. Um, so, so let's get into horses a little bit and um, talk about how you you came to become a certified instructor, and then uh, how you had a dream of riding lessons and working with children and training mm-hmm. horses. And I'd love to hear some sure. more about that.
3: Sure. Absolutely. I was given I came here in the US in ninety three and I did not have horses and to not have a horse when you know, basically a horse was your everything in Haiti was like having my arm cut off. And a late and a big farm that I worked for, just to be around the horses, gave me a horse. And the gift horses are always one of those things. And <laughs> she was had been extremely abused. I mean, to the point you could not touch her head. It took me two and a half years to pick up her right front foot. I mean, absolutely space cadet. You go in the pasture, she'd be on her hind legs. She would pin her ears and chase you out. Yeah. And uh, I'm not that afraid of horses, you know. I'm usually mm-hmm. pretty brave, except for she really would, would test your metal. And a friend of mine gave me Monty's book, Man Who Listens to Horses, mm-hmm. which was back in 95. And I read through it, and I saw all these signs. And I had been training horses since I was big enough to sit on one, mm-hmm. and... Um, I was like, okay, mayor. You and I are going to see if this works or not, because goodness knows I tried just about everything else, and nothing really helped <laughs> break through to her. And right. so I did a join-up, and it, compared to what I do now, it was very rough and you know ragged around the edges. But in about two hours, I accomplished join-up.
1: Mm, I two know. hours.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I'd put two and a half years into her already. I figured, you know, that's what I had read about it, and and uh, she came around. And I came out one day, and I had kids, not my personal kids, but some students had caught her by accident and had tied her to the fence, the gate, and were standing there brushing her, thinking that she was one of my old mare's Conspiracy that they were supposed to ride their lesson on. And, uh, you know, that's how much of a change it did in this mare. Is that where right? she would go from rearing on, on her hind legs when you walked out to the field to where these little kids had managed to get a halter on her and had her tied to the fence post and she was standing there with her head down, eyes closed, getting groomed. I and I was so fired up because I was like, you know what, if this could do this much work for this mare who had been so traumatized, mm-hmm. what could it do for the, for the other horses? Yeah. And I was training a lot of horses at that point in time. And so I did join up my version of it with everyone I could get my hands on. Now, keep in mind, it was ugly at this point. <laughs> I did not, you know, I was not that skilled at join up, but I knew the, the rudiments of it. And I was getting fantastic results. And Monty came to Atlanta, I believe it was in 96, 96 97. Mm-hmm. And I watched him do it. And I was like, oh. That's what it's supposed to look like. He, he <laughs> you were nuts. book-learned.
1: That's right. You were just book-learned. I, I, yeah, and
3: point. I just gleaned whatever I could get out of that book, and that's what I was doing. And so I, um, I had an opportunity to talk to him very briefly in one of his, you know, thousand-people lines and talk to him, and he signed my book, and I was all excited. And I went home, and I practiced again for another year. On You know, we had a lot of horses in training. I was doing anywhere from 10 to 15 horses a month uh, starters and all kinds of stuff um, outside of that. And I got to see Monty because he came back again. And this time I had a better understanding because now I'd seen him do it and I was like, okay, I got this. <laughs> and so in 99, a friend of mine made it possible for me to go to Flag. And Crawford Hall, who was the dean of students at that time, uh, went for a join up clinic. And in those days, it was like a week long.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And he asked me to come back and do the instructor's course because I kind of cheated in the sense that i'd already been playing with the joint up for four years mm-hmm. at, at that point and so he asked me to come back and do the instructor course which i did in 2000 mm-hmm. and then i completed that in november of 2000 and then it's been uh all the rest is history as they say
1: mm-hmm. yeah well you've been busy since that's the nice thing oh, about yeah. it. so you <laughs> actually have about 15 years close to 15, more than that now uh of of not only training, but using the join-ups. Uh, certainly right. if you were 96, yeah, and playing around with it, that's that's mm-hmm. about as long as it gets other than Monty. <laughs> yes,
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly.
1: It was the early and 90s. What it,
3: can, what it can do for the horses and the people that have to work with them is just, I mean, it just blows your mind. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, it can't really be that easy. Well, yes, it can actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean,
1: maybe, maybe we should explain. Behind it. That's right. Yeah, there's a little muscle memory in it, too. But uh, maybe we should explain a little bit to people what uh, what you your interpretation, your definition of join-up is because there's a lot of it out there.
3: Sure. My definition of join-up is creating a situation where you invite the horse to be with you because what you have is mutually beneficial for both of you. And that being is that they see you as the leader of their herd so that you have the authority to ask them to do things that they may not want to do, like, for example, um, jump over a fence or chase a cow or something like that that you want them to do so that when they they have the opportunity to see you as the leader. And it's it's mutually beneficial because it makes it easier on them to do their job and it makes it safer for you to do your job because then you're working together as a partnership, not as a I will make you do it or else. Beautiful. And uh, it covers a lot of ground.
1: It does. It builds a lot of trust, too. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Thanks.
3: Trust, well, how do? you take time. People it, always say, well, you wave a magic wand, and that's not always true. You have to work at it.
1: Yeah, it consistency, relations. I guess, although you, you did achieve in 20 minutes, <laughs> which you hadn't achieved before. I think, I think that uh, common language between horse and man, when the horse recognizes that you recognize his language. Uh, that trust can happen pretty darn quickly. But you're right. If there's been a lot of foul play between man and horse, mm, and there is some undoing. Time. Yeah, for a long time, it's uh, some undoing to do too. Tell yeah. me how you how you take this to the the medium sized kids, the eight to twelve kids, because there's a lot of us listening who um, either have grandchildren or children that we we love our horses and we want so badly to. Um, impart that knowledge over to kids so at least they have the choice to love them as well.
3: Sure. I take the adult version of the Join Up Clinic and I've shrunk it down to a child-friendly version of it. It's a one Mm -hmm. day. It takes about six hours depending on how many kids come. And we learn the Join Up process. We learn how to send the horse away. We learn how to turn the horse. We learn how to look for all the signals the head down, the ear, the looking and chewing, the coming in towards you, all those signals, and then they can achieve join-up themselves. And so, for example, if you have a pony that's, let's say, misbehaving in the arena, like we had the other night, one of the ponies was just being an absolute clown and was not listening to his rider, well, we were able to very quickly get that child off the pony, get the other pony stopped in the middle of the ring where they would be safe, and did a join-up right there in the arena. And the kid that was on the pony got to do the join up, so that when they got back on, the pony was already going. Oh, okay, here, boss, you do want me to jump that jump? Okay, I got uh-huh. it. Great. So, so it's something that you can very quickly fix before it becomes a bigger problem.
1: You, you actually did a little attitude. Yeah, you did an attitude an adjustment attitude right adjustment. there for the kids. <laughs> you got it. You got and It empowers
3: the kid because they get so psyched up about it because they did it. Yeah. It's not some adult that came in and jumped in and saved the day. They did it. They saw what the pony was doing prior. They did the join-up. They saw what happened to the pony afterwards, and it empowers them. Mm. Without that, a whip. It's really exciting to watch them.
1: I imagine. And and without a whip, I, I you know, you have your ear to the ground on so many equestrian centers, and you hear it, you know, whip him a little mm-hmm. harder. He's not yeah, listening you yet. Got yeah. You, yeah. Got mm-hmm. you got and, it. You got it. Yeah, I would love to discourage that more and more if we could. Because kids sure. don't like doing it so well, is what I've noticed. No, mm-hmm. of course not. Yet, when we go to the trade shows, we see a lot of really neon pink colored, uh, they look like whips. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They, look like they're being, they look like they're being marketed to children. Do you see a lot of that?
3: I see a lot of that, yeah, of course. All those fancy colors and everything like that. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the people, people just, they just don't know. And so it's our job to help them understand
1: that's ah. not necessary. That's good. So you're giving choices out there.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: Wonderful. Or the not one to- is
3: when you watch at the end of the horse shows, because we do a lot of horse shows, and uh, people are trying to reload their horses. Uh-huh. And they're out there, and I usually let them work for about an hour, and then I'll, I'll oh. offer if they need some help. And sometimes okay. they'll take it, and sometimes they won't.
1: Uh-huh. And
3: uh, you know, you pull out your handy dandy dooley halter, and within about ten minutes, they're on the trailer, and they're like, "How did you do that?" (laughs) It's like, "Well, let me teach you. Let me show you. You don't have to beat the horse on the trailer. It doesn't work. Not not more than once or twice."
1: Yeah, that's right. There's so much
3: easier ways of doing it.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. We we need to learn some of that too. We'll have to. Have you give some of your insights on on trailer loading alone? Um, that would be sure. a whole episode on itself, I think. Too, sure. a lot of people make those horses think backwards instead of forwards, and exactly, and, uh, yeah, it's not working too well out there. We've noticed, yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: You could make a lot of money if all you did was trailer
1: load horses at the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the people who braid at the beginning of the show and there's exactly. <laughs> the trailer. exactly the
3: that loads them back up on the way home.
1: <laughs> Very good. People have ideas now. They're gonna to come to you.
3: Yeah, well, there
1: you thank go. You. We do a lot
3: Thanks. of trailer loading.
1: <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Hannah. It was so much fun to have you today too. And I would thank love you. to have you back for a um a tip that I know Absolutely. that you're training a lot of horses and a lot of a lot of people too. And if we can we'll we'll um find a time when you can spare five minutes and get back on here with a tip. Would that be
3: okay? Sure, that would be great. Absolutely.
1: Be awesome. Look it.
3: Thank you for the opportunity.
1: And thank you for joining us. Hannah Campbell-Zapatel. Next, our topic is the importance of ground manners. Listen in.
2: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from Join Up to Advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse too.
1: Denise Heinlein discovered her passion for horses at the very early age of five when she started to ride. She got her own horse when she was 13 and still owns him. Denise spent time learning from different Western trainers in Canada, Austria, and Germany. And since 2006, Denise has followed the Monty Roberts methods, working and learning from Monty himself and several of his certified instructors in California, Germany, Portugal, the Netherlands, and England. She rides starters and remedial horses. And in November of 2009, Denise accomplished her goal of becoming an instructor in Monty's methods, and she went to work in the thoroughbred industry after that. She's now working and teaching at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center in California. Welcome, Denise Heinlein. Thank you for joining us today. You're out at Flag is Up Farms today, right? Yes, right. That's a lovely day today at Flag is Up Farms. Perfect. It's always perfect weather at Flags Up, though, right?
4: Yeah, most of the
1: time, yes, definitely. <laughs> people should go to Denise's uh Facebook page if you if you end up being uh one of those lucky people or friends of her. She has beautiful pictures of on the beach, uh not so much on horses, but uh you visiting the beach. Being from Germany, I suppose the beaches here are a little bit different, huh?
4: It is definitely a wonderful place here for me because I where I live in the south of Germany, we don't have a beach close by, so this is like uh, my uh, little uh, pleasure <laughs> point mm. to go when I have some time.
1: Yeah, it's a nice little escape. About 20, 15, 20 minutes from the farm is a nice beach.
4: Mm. Yeah, beautiful beaches around here. I love California for the weather, for the beaches, and for all the nice people. I really
1: enjoy my time here. Yeah, that's very nice. I'm always teasing Denise because she comes from Germany and it's very cold there, but she doesn't like the cold at all. Even when it's not that cold in California, she's like, it's cold. She's got her hoodie on. and Yeah? Yeah, that's true.
4: <laughs> I'm uh, I'm pretty sensitive to the cold weather. That's why I love it here so much. It's just beautiful. And the sunshine gives you a good mood.
1: Yeah, it does. You're exactly right. I think I'd have to be in light therapy if I was in a dark climb. That's true. Well, we're glad to have you here. And we wanted to get today into some some issues that people have with their horses. And uh, some of the things we talked about is that Monty's six imperatives say that there are certain things that every trained horse should really be pretty adept at. And one of them is standing still. It's one of his main imperatives. And and that kind of is, uh, the broader category are ground manners. And I'd like to talk with you a, a little bit about ground manners and, and even how it relates to writing, even uh, the importance of ground manners. Is that a topic that you would join us in? Yes, of course. I think that is really, really important because that's what I always
4: say, the foundation of our relationship with the horses, is that you are having good uh, ground matter, m- manners, manners with the horse.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, I always explain it like this is how when you build a house, you have to have a good foundation. Otherwise, everything is going to fall apart after a while when you go too high. And that's the same thing with uh, good ground manners. It's really worth it to work on that kind of things first before you go uh, further in the training with your horse.
1: All right, so ha- so you're just introduced to a horse you don't know much about his grand manners or what his background is, um, assuming he's been trained a bit. Uh, what's the first thing you do with a horse to see how his grand manners are?
4: Well, normally we start uh, with a join up to start the relationship built on trust and good. it also gives you a good um, idea how the horses are behaving so if they are a little bit nervous or pushy and you can read a lot out of the character of the horses if you do a join up and you're trained to read the body language and uh, the echos language of the horse okay. um, so I would definitely uh, start with that and then I would start using our dually halter which was created by Monty to actually uh, have a really, really clear uh, communication with the horses where you can easily say yes and no to explain to the horse what you would like them to do.
1: All right. So now is that a, uh, if for, for those of us who don't know the Dooley Halter much, or I do, but for those of people who don't know the Dooley Halter, how is it that, that that's explaining clearly yes and no and stop and go?
4: Well, the Dooley halter is a special training halter. Yeah, excuse me, because I always assume that people know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. It is a training halter What has a soft rope, uh, an extra schooling rope on the hard part of the nose. And uh, it applies pressure. So it gets a little bit uncomfortable to the horse if they do something what we don't like and we apply pressure to the halter. And it releases Immediately, uh, if the horse does uh, something nice, what we like them. So you can say with the dually halter actually yes and no by applying and releasing pressure uh, in the right timing.
1: Okay, all right. So you got a good communication going with this horse that you're you're introducing. What do you find out if he's bargy? uh, He's just not respecting your space. Maybe it's because he doesn't know you. Maybe you've done one join up and he's he's saying I don't think I. Want you to be the leader? I think I want to be the leader. <laughs> What's the first thing somebody should do in that case?
4: Well, in that case, uh, somebody definitely should know how to uh, use the dually halter so uh, and how to apply pressure, and also how to uh, talk to the horse in the right body language. And so, what your body is talking to the horse, it makes a big difference to to horses anyway. And I would introduce the horse first to uh, what it means, pressure and release. So I I, uh, set the rules to Mm -hmm. yes and no. And uh, from that point, you can actually do everything with the horse to explain uh, uh, them what you would like to do, that they respect your your area. It's like a little bubble around you, Mm -hmm. what is your area and the horse's area. And that is like based on on respect so if the horse doesn't respect your space you have to step up and be a, a leader to control the horse's feet so if they mm-hmm. step in in your space you just back them up out of your space
1: with the dually halter
4: mm-hmm. if that makes
1: okay. sense sure and and this is not something you can do just with any kind of halter I'm not trying to push the dually halter here I, I'm really being um oh yeah very you can specific. do it
4: with yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can do that with uh, every halter, but it's just not so clear to the horse. I mean, if you're timing and you have a sensitive horse, which is uh, enough or the, it's enough uncomfortable, a normal halter that you can apply pressure and the horse is like responding to it, then you can use a normal halter or you can use those um, rope halters. Mm-hmm. But uh, the important thing is that you know when to apply pressure and when to release the pressure so that it's clear and fair to the horse.
1: Okay. All right. So you get him responding to your bubble, and he respects your bubble, you're, you're defining his bubble. And what's the next step to getting him to stand still now?
4: Well, that is always to be consistent, So this is very, very important to teach a horse if you are setting the horse up to stand still. So you're using the um, riot body language and maybe even you condition your horse to a word like woe, what some people do, Mm -hmm. a stand still or whatever you would like to do to stand, uh, to keep all four feet standing still from a horse. Uh-huh. And then you have to be consistent in uh, your uh, treatment, how you probably would school if the horse is moving a fit, food um, so that they know exactly what they are expected to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that's sometimes not clear what we uh, what uh, people do. So horses are very clever in taking over, um, mm-hmm. controlling the feet of, of the humans which uh, yeah is a very delicate um, subject because it is so easy and sometimes we don't even realize it, that our horse is actually guiding us instead of we are guiding our horse.
1: Uh, tell me an example of that because I, I think I know what you mean.
4: Uh, for example, when uh, uh, my horse is like shortly standing still but then keeps the head uh so I am. I'm keeping hold of the head and the horse is moving his feet around me in a in a very small circle. So actually, that means that uh, I'm not in control of my horse's feet. So mm-hmm. he is still not um, listening to what I would actually like them to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I don't like, some people don't know how to correct their horse's body or explain them exactly what we want. We get. Uh, confusing situations where the horses are just not sure. Sometimes it's not even because they don't want to listen, but that um, there's a lack of ex- yeah, communication that we uh, communicate to the horse in the right way that we want to have their feet standing 100% still, not only giving us like the head close to a-
1: if, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I see what you're saying. So if he's dancing around you, his head might be in the right spot next to you, but eventually he's going to get you going in a circle too and move your feet first. Yeah, Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, exactly. No, I understand. And I think a lot of us are, are guilty of sometimes grabbing the – I know, especially in a show ring too – you tend to want to clamp down on that horse's lead way up high by that halter and uh you know at that point if you're showing it, it's you're stuck <laughs> you can't train yeah. at that point but so what so i go home what do i need to do to get him to stand still so that i can uh let that rein have a little lax in it and make it his choice to stand still
4: yeah exactly that's what you already said so it needs to be the horse's choice to uh Uh, stand still so we have to explain to our horse that they uh, the best option for the horse is to stand still and Mm -hmm. there they have like uh, peace and nothing bothers them so they have no pressure on the line Ah, by that uh, but by uh, that um, that you allow your horse first to make some mistakes as you already said to uh, let uh, the line pretty loose so we Uh are for example standing in front of our horse i'm looking my horse in the eye and i tell him with my body uh, language that i would like him to stand still so if he decides to move on with me having a loose line I, i allow my horse to do that mistake but then I just correct him back and uh, explain that I wanted the feet to stand still exactly at that point where I stopped him. Mm -hmm. So, and if you do that for a few times, and it really depends on the horse's character, how many times you have to correct it or not. And some horses uh, are very smart by uh, getting the right thing and some horses are a little bit more testing. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so if you allow them to make a mistake, they learn for themselves, which is the the good thing to do, so they mm-hmm. don't get a negative consequence, what we use it, like the pressure of the dually halter for.
1: I like what you said about um, that by allowing them to make those mistakes and then correcting them and then letting them relax, they actually get peace and relaxation, which is the reward that you're giving them for standing still. And that's probably the place where we get it wrong the most is letting them completely relax and make those choices and then communicating that um, they've moved again and then back off again, backing off and letting them make those choices. That sounds great.
4: Yeah. And it is um, for humans. I mean, for our nature, it is so easy to always try to uh, get closer and hold Harder or stronger on on the horses because that's our nature. How we think we are able to control things, mm-hmm. like to get uh, to grab it more, because it is like just our nature. But for the horses, actually, it's the opposite. So as more as we allow them to to figure out, they are allowed to have or to make mistakes, and they are allowed to ex- like do the intrinsic learning. Mm -hmm. what we call it so they do a step they get corrected for it and then by the end they just it's their decision standing still is super nice i get a head rub for it and everything Mm -hmm. is relaxed and it's just not a big deal
1: perfect that's perfect and so this is good for standing still for the vet standing still for the farrier standing still in the show ring and uh and so many applications of keeping our horses and our and ourselves safe hmm?
4: Yeah, exactly. But also, as I said already, it's like one of the biggest uh, parts of the foundation of um, that we are as humans in control of the horse's feet. Because uh, for horses, they are social animals. So whoever is in charge of moving feet mm-hmm. is the, um, uh, the like the leader. The leader, yeah. And so if you are in control or if we as a handler are in control of the horse's feet, then they will give us the leadership and therefore if they if we are fair and consistent and clear to them what we want and we are able to explain them um what what they are supposed to do because they don't know. So it's our job to explain them in a fair and consistent way um, mm-hmm. what we would like them to do. And if we got this point right, then you have already a huge uh, step forward to a um, trust build mm-hmm. relationship because yes. if they allow you to have them standing still in a relaxed, nice way... They trust you completely because you are in charge of their feet and they don't worry and have the flight instinct um, kick in where they have to move their feet. But by standing still and relaxing, they give you kind of, um, yeah, here, have my life. You are taking responsibility of my uh,
1: life now. And that's that's like fully trust. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think people can envision what you just said and go, "Oh, yeah, that's what we call a really good horse person." You know, that you can you can see a talented person from a mile away when they've got a horse that's relaxed and trusting them, and you say, "Oh, they just look at that." It just is so easy for them. No, you just described what they need to do to learn how to do that. I'm sure people would love to um, know more about your your courses and classes that you're teaching there too. What's, what's coming up in the next uh, few months there that you're teaching?
4: Well, the next one, what is coming up actually next week already is uh, one of our Turn Up and Long Line clinics where we do all about uh, the first steps of learning a course the language of horses. And in October, we have an advanced course coming up and also introductory exam. So this is going to be very exciting for the students mm-hmm. who will come in because they are uh, learning the advanced way how to deal with starters and like untouched horses. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Mm. And, uh, yes, so for for next year, we've started to plan a few new courses as well where we are handling um, untouched and wild horses. So this is going to be very, very interesting, I think, and a lot of fun to learn about horses and their um, behavior, their natural behavior without people uh, got to uh, give them bad experience. Mm-hmm. So this is a very very nice thing. I, I Yes, think, yeah.
1: you're working with rescues and and uh, you're you're getting these horses more ad- adoptable from rescues and rehabilitation facilities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This That's is what wonderful. we
4: do with all our courses actually. We have mm-hmm. we help rescue centers Uh, They bring the horses to us, and we work with them together with the students. So it's a win-win situation for the horses and the students and everybody. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's fantastic, Denise. Yeah, It it, it really is fantastic. So how do people get a hold of you if they want to know more?
4: Well, they can write us. They can, first of all, if they want to have some more uh, information, it's www.join-up.org. Okay. So this is the website, uh, what the school has, the so Join Up International School. Or they can write at uh, Denise at dot uporg and r- give me a direct email if they wish and have oh. more
1: questions. Great. I appreciate that. That was really helpful. That was really helpful information. I'm sure people will appreciate that. We'd love to have you back. In fact, if if we could have you back for a trainer's tip, I'd love to have you on again. Would you agree to that? Yes, I would totally love that. Up next, our trainer's tip this episode comes from the Cowgirl Hall of Famer, Sheila Varian.
5: If I was to share a trainer's tip, it would be that things that you're doing with horses must be put in pieces mm-hmm. that, that horses don't learn let's see if I can explain this horses need to learn each thing individually whether it's the start of a turn the start of a stop they need to learn each thing individually and the less difficulty you make it for them, the less confusion you add to them the quicker and the more solid they learn, meaning that if you're going to teach something you have to teach it in pieces mm-hmm. and you can't run it together until they know each piece very very well and then you can start uh, attaching each piece if that makes any sense i think that's i think now that i'm doing a few clinics and i've been doing clinics for years but not a lot of them i, I never wanted to go on the road or anything like that mm-hmm. but i i Think more and more about the fact that rather than demonstrations, we need education. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm doing anything now, I'm putting it in pieces for people.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's an incremental habituation
5: learning process. Mm-hmm. Yes, learning so process people mm-hmm. are trying to do, and that doesn't mean that you can't begin to teach a horse to turn around and stop in the same lesson. okay? You just don't necessarily put the the whole thing together. In other words, if you're going to teach him to turn around, you have to you have to teach him first to move his rear end, second to move his front end, and you have to be able to do those individually before you can actually start them to do a turnaround or to move in a circle and be able to handle or control their front end and their back end before you go to that next step. People just think, oh, I'm going to go teach it to turn around, but they forgot all the steps that go into Mm -hmm. a turnaround. That's what I'm talking about.
1: That's a great tip. And that is how the horse's mind works, right? People. yeah, Horses, Mm -hmm. dogs, cats, everything. Yeah, exactly. Very good. You're a good teacher. Thank you, Sheila Varian. Well, thank you, Debbie, and let's ride.
5: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on
3: here?
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in... India. What? Monty's traveled to India this week, and he's working with the Brett Brook Animal Hospital to help train some staff as to better equine practices. And then October fifth through November one, Monty will be on tour in the south of England, all the way up to Glen Eagle, Scotland. Hopefully, it's still part of the UK at that point. But, <laughs> and then he goes on to Germany on tour for, from November eighth and the fifteenth. And you can find all these, uh, you know, on our calendar. I'll have Jen give you that in a second. But then December 1 through 5, he'll be back in California, and he'll be having a Monty special training in English and Portuguese. He won't be doing the Portuguese part. That's for the Brazilian uh, translator. But we uh, we also have people coming that speak English and Portuguese. So it'll be a lot of fun. This is our third annual now. And then December 12 through 14, we have another Horse Sense and Healing for Stress-Injured Service Personnel. So for all that information, Jen, how can they find out? You need to go to MontyRoberts.com. That's the website. Or you can
0: get Monty's calendar by calling... 1 805 688 6288. And for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you will find links, photos, and more information about all of today's guests. And as always, we love to hear your feedback. You can follow us on Facebook at Monty Roberts. That's Facebook.com slash Monty Roberts. Or you can go to Twitter and follow Monty at Twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. And if you're already a member, you just follow him at Monty underscore Roberts and you're ready to go. I'm so glad you have to read all that
1: stuff. That's tough. And many thanks to our sponsors. <laughs> There's a method to your madness. Is that oh what my you're gosh, All those underscores and forward slashes. And but we really thank our sponsors who make this happen. And be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. Woohoo!